Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my new buddy, my new pal, from the band The Bo Weevils, from Lando's 45, from Rat Patrol, and from new to me, the Foundation All-Stars, Daryl Wilson is on the show today, and I am... Well, I'm excited for this one, but more on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Both of those are Turned Out of Punk on their respective platforms. And all of that is run by my brother and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. And he has done so much for the show. Like anyone who's listened to the show for a long time knows that once Tristan came on board and started booking the guests with me, Things, things, things really got kicked into high gear. So thank you, Tristan, for all that you do for this show. Uh, speaking of thank you, thank you to everyone for downloading this thing and checking it out. And if you want to support this show, you can support it by subscribing to it, rating it on your platform of choice. You can support it by going over to patreon.com slash turnitapunk and checking out the Patreon page that we have for this thing. Or the best way to support it is just by telling everyone you know that you enjoy this podcast and that they should listen to it too. Speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of my friends over there at Vans. They came aboard a few years ago and said, do what you do. We just don't want you to lose money doing it. And my gosh, it has been awesome ever since. So thank you, Vans, for that um, <laughs> that help. Uh, okay, uh, I think that's it. I don't have anything else to get to. Man, still churning out these episodes. You know, I, I, I'm really... I should be letting up. I should really be, uh, you know, spending time with the family, worrying about future employment. But no, no, I just like doing these podcasts too much to stop. So we're going to keep the hits coming. And when you get to sit down and talk to one of your favorite lead singers ever, why would you ever want to stop doing this thing? That is what happened this week. I got to finally talk to Daryl Wilson from the Bo Weevils. The Bo Weevils are a band that I first got into when Tristan, my brother, who the guest booker previously mentioned, went out and purchased from Full Blast Records the Freeze Bo Weevil split, which I'm 90% sure came out on Doctor Strange Records, uh, but that had a huge impact on us. And then from there, getting into the 7 Inches, which brings me to a point, if anyone is sitting on a copy of the Disassembler EP on Red or the Ripple EP on Clear Green or Green Clear, I need those two. Those are two that I'm still lagging. I... I'm obsessed with collecting this band. I got a lot of different versions of a lot of different 45s by them. But anyway, I could ramble on about this band all night. But I'm going to let you get to the show in one second. Um, you know, I this is obviously, I didn't get to even see this till after Daryl was booked on the show. But recently I saw a speech that Daryl gave to fellow doctors at a Black Lives Matter protest in Chicago a few weeks ago um, that... I think, I think everyone should see it. So we're going to try and post that around um, in all the places that we can. It's already being shared around. It kind of you know, went viral and got passed around to a lot of people. But anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I'm going to let you sit back, relax, and enjoy from the Boweevils, Daryl Wilson on Turned Out a Punk. <coughs> Call the doctor. Daryl, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Dave. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited, man. Thank you for inviting me on the show, man. Well, as I was just telling you off air, like, 
the Beweevils are a hugely important band, not just for myself, but also my brother, who's the show producer. So when he was like, what about Daryl Wilson coming on the show? I was like, oh my God, this is fucking awesome. And so we finally can make it do happen. Dude, I, you, you have no idea. It's like, you know, your brother contacts me. He goes through like the, the Facebook page and it's like, and the funny thing is, it's like my buddy kind of runs the page, but he said, did you get this? And I didn't get it. And he said, he sent it to me personally and I didn't get it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I, I, I got to find this. So I, I found it and I said, yeah, I'd love to be on the show. It's, it's amazing. So I, I was flattered. And then, then he contacts me and we're, we're working it all out. And I'm like thinking my technology is going to fail. So I'm all paranoid about it. And I'm like thinking, hey, they call you early just to make sure it works. And he was, he was telling me the stories, horror stories about, no, you, you'd be surprised at what we deal with to get technology and make it work for people to get people on the show. I'm like, I just want to make sure I can at least talk <laughs> you know, through something. If, I, if it has to be like through a can and, you know, a string that goes to Canada, then I'll do that. But thank you for having me on, dude. This is amazing. I, I'm excited. I'm so excited. Well, like, not only am I obsessed with, you know, your band, as I was telling you off air, I've got like a, a pretty sizable seven inch collection, but also the period that the Beweevils kind of come out of in Chicago is just like such a, such an area of obsession for me, but we're going to get to all that. I'm sure I'm going to punish you <laughs> incessantly for this podcast, but uh, we got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is Daryl. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do. I do. So, you know, I, I tell the story all the time. It's usually, you know, the, my house was always full of music and, you know, but my family would play all kinds of music all the time. You know, we, we'd hear, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, we play, the, you know, the, the Brothers Johnson, you know, um, we play Earth, Wind, Fire, Prince, um, everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started listening to other music and I, I got into metal at first. I was listening to like Iron Maiden and, you know, ACDC, <clears throat> but then started skateboarding, um, you know, as my parents were getting divorced and I was an angry youth and um, tried to find something that would allow me to release all this pent up angst and anger and so I started skating and I was skating with a bunch of guys and they handed me this tape and the tape had the Angry Samoans, the Germs and the Adolescents on the tape. What a tape. And and I was like, man, when I, I, I just was blown away by Darby Crash and his just growling guttural kind of, you know, snarling and, you know, listening to the Angry Samoans and, you know, when you hear Lights Out, you're like, man, this song's amazing, you know, it, it, it just, you know, everything off of, you know, back from Samoa. Oh, then you, 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 then I hear the adolescence and it's like, everything was so perfect and imperfect at the same time, listening to the way the music was produced and it came out just raw and angry, but everything to me was like, oh, this is approachable in the sense that it's how I feel right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was my indoctrination into punk rock. And then it just sprung from there into, you know, listening to the circle jerks and, and, you know, black flag and the descendants uh, blast, you know, uh, Asian orange um, just sprung from there and kept on growing and, you know, youth brigade, you know, and, and, and I was like, this is me. This is what I what I needed to find a, a way to channel my anger and angst into something else. 
Um, and with that came the, not only the, the, there was political portions of bands that you could listen to, you could listen to, you know, stuff that was just, you know, comical, you know, angst being a teenager, you know, unrequited love, um, just, you know, anger at the world in general. Um, but it, it all was at my, you know, formative years of, you know, being like a 11 to 13 year old. And, um, I, I just sprung from there and I, I didn't stop. <laughs> you know, I just kept <laughs> growing. And, and it was funny because, you know, I, I didn't really think about it from the standpoint of being, you know, an African-American guy listening to punk rock because I was always taught that music was just music. It was something that you experienced and you had a feeling when you listened to the music. I can remember listening to any song that, you know, my parents were playing at the time and it reminds me of a time specific moment, you know, where I could see, you know, apple blossoms on a tree that are blooming mm-hmm. during Earth, Wind and Fire song or, you know, driving in the car and hearing a, a Stevie Wonder song. So punk also has those moments that I can like, I remember sitting in the carport at the house my, my mom and my, my brother and I were living in and getting that tape handed to me and then listening to it and going, Fuck. you know, they, they say Hitler's cock comes on. I'm going, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, um, Lexicon Devil comes on. You're like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, this, this is amazing. You know, um, what we do in secret comes on. I'm like, holy, this is amazing. So I, I was done. I was in. I was totally put my brand on and walked in. I was, I was almost all set. I guess going back just before that, you mentioned getting into metal. Like, obviously, Chicago's got like a really storied metal scene at that time. Was like local metal it on your radar? Because you're pretty young at that point, I guess. Well, 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 the funny thing, I lived in Michigan at the time. So I was before I moved to Chicago. I moved to Chicago when I was a senior in high school. So that was kind of like I was already into, you know, punk before I had moved here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I and Detroit was, you know, a whole different scene a whole different thing um you know and so when i moved here um that's when i really was introduced to all the chicago punk bands that you know were very influential on me then becoming a guy that played in a punk rock band you know i I was always the person who was listening to music and when i came here the whole aesthetic of punk was like you know, the, these guys are up on stage, but they're guys you'd see working a job someplace, you know, that mm-hmm. you see out just in the general public. They were they were superstars in your mind, but they were accessible. And, you know, going to the shows at the Metro and, and other spots, it, you know, seeing Naked Ray Gun was the thing that kind of propelled me to say, I, I want to be on stage. <laughs> you know, that, that was it. And that was the the place where I met, you know, Ken and Bob at the time, and uh, we started. They started the Bullweevils, and, and that's how the band grew out of going to shows together. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't really, you know, come into Chicago and hit the metal scene. It was I was in Chicago already. Had been listening to punk rock when I was in Michigan, and then came here and then found this scene. And that's when I really was like, felt like, man, I was home. 
know, especially when you move and you're a senior in high school, you're already pissed off to begin with. Now I was even more pissed. <laughs> you know, it's like I was just angry. You know, my my mom was concerned. Like, whoa, I'm moving you last year of high school. You know, how does that feel? I'm like, it feels pretty shitty. Mm. Yeah. That- <laughs> But then you find that group of people because you feel like a misfit anyway, and we're, we're all family when you come in. You're, you're, you're adopted into that family of punk and um, found all those people because I would go to these shows in, in Chicago, and it was amazing. And, and I, these are lifelong friends. These are people that you never, ever could, could really let go. You, you're, you're, you're branded. You're, you're forged by being there in, in the pit. Um, sweating with all those same people. Now we're all in our you know late forties and you know early fifties, and we're still doing some of the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> to the chagrin of some of our our family members, we're still doing the same stuff. <laughs> I guess I guess going back before you get to Chicago to to Michigan, did you go to shows when you were still in Michigan? You must have, right? Yeah, so we went to shows in Michigan, and so. You know, it's kind of funny because you go to St. Andrews Hall and you went to shows. You know, <laughs> so back then. Um, so I was talking, we went and played a show, you know, they were at like the dead Kennedys and it was kind of cool. Cause a couple of my buddies from high school came to the show, which was really cool to see those guys that were at my high school before I left. And I got my high school friends here in, in Illinois and, um, those dudes showed up. It was cool. It was in introduced them to the band and we hung out for a bit <laughs> and it was kind of just like, wow, we're in Detroit. This is crazy. I haven't been back here for years. <laughs> This is a cool thing. Um, so, yeah, you get to kind of play these venues that you used to go to as a kid. You get to see, like, wow, I, I'm here where, we, you know, you in the shelter. You get to play shows there. I'm like, holy crap, I, I got to play here now. This is crazy. <laughs> you know? It's always weird when you go back to a venue like that, how your perspective is so different when you're younger. It either feels way bigger or way smaller, I find. Right. It, it suddenly got smaller. You know, yeah. it's, yeah. you're, you're bigger when you're a kid. It's like. Everything's just massively bigger than it should be. You think you're like, wow, this is huge. Like you're walking in this big universe of space. You can reach out and touch everything. Then you get there on stage. Like, holy crap, this place is small. (laughs) (laughs) I used to think that stage was bigger. It's like, didn't they used to come up to you like your neck? Like, no, that, that stage is only like six inches off. Oh crap. It seemed always bigger. (laughs) So where did you, what was the first concert you went to actually? First concert I went to, boy, just first concert in general. Yeah. Just even before shows type thing. Wow. Wow. Um, do operas count? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I saw Don Giovanni as a kid. My mom took us to see Don Giovanni. Did that make an impact or have an impact on you? you It was weird because of all the ghost parts in it were kind of freaky. Yeah. (laughs) kind of thing I remember of uh, being afraid for a little bit um, so we went to go see Don Giovanni we went to go see musicals and stuff as kids um, I think we saw Jesus Christ Superstar as a kid um, but the first show show I went to um, it was I went to go see Prince I think it was no let's see some smaller shows we went to go see like some local bands play at some places, but the first big, big concert concert I went to was like Prince um, back in the day. And it was the thing about being at Prince was so, it was me and my buddy uh, Pete Buford from in Michigan. 
And (laughs) we go there, we get dropped off by, you know, his mom at the Joe Louis arena and we're dropped off. We walk in and it is just guys like just dressed to the nines and women in camisoles. That's all it is. (laughs) Like, like, Oh man, this is crazy. And so we, we go up in the nosebleed seats and we got binoculars and Sheila E comes out to open the show and she's playing and it's awesome. And then she's like playing and then the lights go out and her drumsticks are lit up and she's playing the drums. It's like this, you know, amazing show of light. And then she throws a drumstick on the ground and pops back up in the air. She catches it mid beat and keeps going like, oh, I'm screaming. <laughs> then I look at women in camisoles. I'm like, this is great. This is great. So, <laughs> so I remember that I went to go see U2. Um, but that was like, those were like my first like big, big concerts, you know, uh, besides going to go see operas. <laughs> <laughs> so was this before or after you got that, that tape? That was a little bit after the tape. That was, that was after the tape. Cause I was, God, I was in my later teens, but I got the tape earlier on, but that was like my first big, big concert to go to was to go see, you know, Prince, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of all downhill after that as far as concerts go. I mean, yeah, it kind of was. Not really, no, because that was kind of an experience where you were sitting way back and didn't experience the upfront kind of, you know, experience of, of the band. Um, but yeah, seeing local bands was more of the thing. So I saw this band Boys on Skates back in the day. Um, they Boys, were cool. What, what, sorry, what, what was that band like, Boys on Skates? I've never heard of them. They were, they were a very local, local band who played skate punk. Most covers of things they would play, but it was skate punk. And it was cool because it was like, oh, I'm a skater and I'd like to go around to stuff that sounds like it's nardcore almost. Yeah. yeah it kind of was. So that's because um, it's that same kind of beat that you get. Um, they thought they were the faction. So. <laughs> Which, you know, it's good. The faction's great. It's like, but the faction is the faction. You're, they weren't the faction, but it was the closest thing to it. So. <laughs> what about, the, there's this label that I'm kind of obsessed with from there called Depression Records. And they had like, um, I'm trying to remember some of the bands, but like really over the, oh, Boom and the Legion of Doom. And like these really over the top bands, like apparently Boom and the Legion of Doom used to throw meat at uh, Youth of the Day when Youth of the Day played with them one time or, or they've got all these sort of like infamous stories. Were they at all like around at all for you? I, I can't recall that. You know, I, I remember something about meat being thrown, but I can't really recall that as my adult brain of 50 is trying to <laughs> I can't <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so bad. So I'm sorry. I'm so bad at this. No, 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 please. No, uh, this, that's the thing about the show is I always tend to pick the most obscure band possible just because I've picked up a random seven inch and I want to find out more about it. So don't worry at all about, um, uh, you know what? You're not really missing out either with boom and the Legion of doom. Uh. <laughs> I feel like I am now. Thank you. But it, I, I guess the thing is like Chicago, as you said, it's like, it's such, especially you know, a couple of years later with the Bo Weevils and, and Screeching Weasel and like all Los Trudos and all the bands that are kind of happening, but it feels like it's a lot more of an established scene than Detroit had. Like obviously Detroit's got touch and go early on. And then there's like Pitbull and all those kind of hardcore bands, but it doesn't seem as big as Chicago would have been. Right. And, and that's the thing, you know, you, you get to Chicago and 
everything it, it's it's established but it's it's huge mm-hmm. there's there's so many bands you could see I mean I mean thinking back you know you had to go to a show and they were they were events I mean you could go see a local band play at a multitude of different venues and you know then we start playing and it's our little scene of you know us and 88 Fingers Louie, you know, uh, Smoking Popes, uh, Apocalypse Hoboken, Oblivion, uh, Fighters, Los Crudos, um, you know, you can start naming band after band, you know, Screeching Weasel, Vindictives, um, all those bands. But the funny thing is our, our scene was kind of put into these factions as well. You know, you had the the seasoned veterans that were there, you know, Naked Raygun and the Effigies and things like that, you know, Articles of Faith. You know, you, you had those bands that were like, hey, that's what you aspire to be like. And then, you know, you get all of us that come in in our time frame. And that, there was a time that was, we had factions that were broken up into, you know, the eight finger, the, the Bowie's Eight Fingers Louie, you know, that kind of set of bands. And then the Screeching Weasels and Addictives bands that were it was stupid it was like really dumb you know we had this whole scene unity and then scene breakup um and you had to choose sides of where you wanted to be and that was just it's just dumb you look back on it it's like why why did we do that stuff because we were you know dumb adolescents we were stupid um and we didn't you know think that we could you know compromise and say oh well we could play with that band we, we did play with these bands that we did but it was always a weird vibe that we thought that we had to make our own thing happen because we were Chicago and they were the Burbs. It's it just stupid. It was just all dumb. Um, looking back on it, when you, when you become an adult, you look back on some of the things you did as a youth and you really have some you know, regrets for stupid things that you did. Um, and now you, know, you can look back and, and start reaching back to people and say, back then, this was stupid. You know, we, we held grudges for no reason because it was this whole scene DNA you had like, oh, I gotta, I, I'm on this side and screw you. I can't like anything else because you're, you're, you're on that side. It's like, that's just dumb. Just so stupid. Um, so I'm glad we've all grown up and we've all realized that that was a waste of our time. Um, we could have probably done so much more if we didn't waste time, you know, finding grudges where there weren't really real things to have a grudge about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the scene was pretty big though. You had, so many choices of what you could go to, what you could see. You know, there's, you know, you think about Elgin with, you know, Slapstick that becomes, you know, the Lawrence Arms and you think about, you know, Tricky Dick and those bands. Um, so there's all this whole thing in Illinois that you considered Chicago, but then there were things that were so far away from Chicago that they had their own scene kind of too. Um, so I, and when I think about it in my brain, I put it all together, but I, go back in time and realizing that we were so set up in factions all over the place in Illinois. Um, and that, that's kind of a, a cool thing because all the sounds were a little different. You could tell where a band kind of had its sound from. Um, but uh, in the early parts of the, the scene, it was always like every band would play with each other. You know, <laughs> it sounds really weird to play with each other. Um, but it, then it became like, well, only certain bands played with certain bands. It's kind of 
just really dumb. Well, it's funny you say that because I've been like, you know, obsessively looking at that uh, Chicago Flyer Instagram. I don't know if you've checked that out where it's like just old Chicago Flyers from mainly the 90s that someone's putting up. And it's you really do get to see that how like different bands kind of played together. Like you'd see shows with like Beweevil's 88 Fingers Louie, as you're saying, like Oblivion and also like Meshuggahs would be on that flyer. And then you'd see like, yeah, right. Completely opposite fly- or different flyers and different bands that would be playing with like Screeching Weasel or then like, I guess only the strong was like an entirely different kind of scene unto itself too. You had like the hardcore scene and you had, you know, that you had emo stuff. But, then, but in the beginning it was like, we played with every band. Like we'd play with Gage and that was fine, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, or, or friction, or you know, it's it's fine. Um, but then it's like things started to become once again fractured into these little tiny scenes within scenes, and certain bands always play with certain bands. It's kind of like ah, that that was ridiculous. But then when you do look at the flyers, now I look back on them, there was still a lot of cross pollination with bands though that would play with a, a band that seemed to be outside of the realm of what they would quote play with you find that it got less and less of that as time would go on. There was always a show that was a, you know, emo show or a punk show or a hardcore show. Um, and, and that I think is a, a, a detriment to music in general. You, you, you usually find like a band that you're like, wow, I never thought I'd listen to this. This sounds cool. And you don't get exposed to that sometimes because you'd have five bands that sound basically the same that were playing. And that's kind of like, well, I guess if you wanted to have that soundtrack going on in your head, that's, that's great. But you, you need a little bit more of that diversity of having things. And I guess that's where you grow this whole thing of festivals that come out of that way, right? It's kind of how shows used to be where you'd have a whole bunch of different bands playing and it was just cool. It was just a show. And now it's got to be a, a festival where suddenly you have this whole big smorgasbord of, of bands to choose from and you go up and pick a little bit of this from the buffet and a little bit of this from the buffet and go to this from the buffet and you get all yourself stuck full of music and then you go, oh, I'm full and then you, then you go home. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny, I guess it was almost, you know, maybe driven by economics. Like you only had so much money so you're just going to buy stuff that you knew you already liked maybe or like it just feels like now kids, you know, like you, you see these kids like you emo trap music or you, you see these genres that are just mixing, like you're saying, from the smorgasbord, all these different influences. Right. But, you know, the funny thing, too, is you think about it, you still kind of get stuck sometimes in a rut. If, if you have the, you know, the, the computer uh, algorithm can choose for you based upon what you're listening to. And it says you probably like this, too. And you listen to it and you go, yeah, I probably do. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't pick outside of that, you know, like you have to have almost like a, a human, you know, drive it. You can't have AI drive it completely. You have to have somebody who can lead you down a path to go, try this out. It used to be that way, right? You know, your friends would come up to you and go like, dude, did you hear this? <laughs> like, okay, you got to hear this. You know, like I have to say, so Dennis from 88 says, hello, by the way. Oh, tell me, say hello. Absolutely. Right back, please. Dennis is good at, you know, picking music from a multitude of, of places and, you know, and looking at his streams of stuff and his stream of thinking, it's like, wow, you'll, you'll find something you go, I might not listen to that. Dennis will listen to it. I might listen to it and try it out. And that's cool as a friend. And so he usually has pretty good choices. Sometimes they're really off, but he has pretty good choices most of the time. <laughs> um, but 
that's where you usually get exposed to new things is through a friend telling you, hey, listen to this. Or reading the liner notes of a record where, you know, a band would thank a bunch of bands and suddenly you'd go find out who those other bands were. And yep. it may not be a band that sounds anything like the band that you're listening to, but they had an interaction with this band and they wanted to thank them for something. And then suddenly you're like, let me check this out. They're thanking this band. Let me see who they are. So um, you lose that now, right? I don't think that exists really anymore. The algorithm tells you what you should like and then you kind of follow that. I mean, I mean you don't have to, <laughs> but that's something that is presented to you in a lazy way of getting you exposed to something. Or you can go click on new music and then suddenly you hear something you go, well, that's different. But most people stay within their lane, which is crazy. You know, you got to step outside of that. And I guess you were not going to like force yourself to like something anymore because you can just switch on something else immediately. Like, it's not like that record where you're like, well, I guess I should really like this band. So I'm going to listen to it until I can understand it a little bit. Like now there's no real incentive to do that. No, there isn't. It's like you, you can get exposed to something and go, I'll listen to the first you know, 15 seconds of this and go, I don't want to listen to it anymore. And that's, so you don't give it even a chance. Yeah. And then if you, and you buy, you know, an album, right. And you get the whole album and you, there's some bangers on there you're listening to. And then you get the other songs like, ah, oh, it's okay. And it grows on you over time listening to it. Cause you listen to the whole record, right. You didn't mm -hmm. just, her. and then those B sides, you're like, man, these B side songs are awesome. These are ripping through. These are crazy. And you like find your favorite tracks uh, that are, the deeper cuts. Now you can just get, it's like this song and this song and this song, and you don't have to really delve deeper into the whole, you know, catalog of things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, and, and I don't know if it gives you any loyalty to, to any music in itself. You can just hear, I like three songs and that's all I'm going to listen to. I don't want to hear the rest of the record. Um, and does it incentivize the band to make a good record? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> you know, you just want to put everything out there that's really good Right. You think everything's good, but then people are like, I'm picking and choosing. I don't want to hear your single. You know, I was like, oh, that's that's kind of blows. I, this other song I really, really like that you wrote. It's like, do you want to hear it? No, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like that. So I, it, it's good because it, it, there's one thing I'm not going to knock. There's music everywhere. You can get it at your fingertips. That's a wonderful thing. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, well, people can also just pick through and go, I'm not going to hear, I'm not going to hear, I'm not going to hear the other stuff that you, you put out. Right. And that, that kind of sucks. Yeah, I know you're right. Absolutely. Like you hear about someone like Fiona Apple who like spent eight years working on a record and then it's talked about for like a week and then it's the next record comes out and it's, and it's just gone and you don't really have that, you know, that need to stick around in people's sort of consciousness with music as much as it used to, it feels like. You don't get to absorb it and really take it in and go like, wow, this is a great record from front to back. It's like all these songs, the way they fit together. It's like by the time you're trying to kind of absorb it, there's something else that goes on and it plays to our general attention spans on things now. Like I mean, for even serious issues, people have a attention span that's so, so minuscule that it's, it's just freaky scary. You know, <laughs> it's, it's out of control. It's like, Hey, we got to focus on this. I can't focus on this for more than, you know, a week. I'm done. I'm yeah. done with it. I'm done. I got to go to something else. Can we get something new that I can really be, you know, concerned about now? <laughs> That's the thing.
<laughs> Sorry. No, no, I, I totally, I totally get it. And I think another thing that's kind of gone away too is uh, that was a great way to discover music is the compilation. And I think that Octung Chicago compilation has got to be up there as one of the greatest collections of like alternative broadly termed music uh, ever. Like it's such an incredible like range of st- sounds that are coming out of punk rock. Right. And, and that's the thing too, that the compilation record, there's still people that do it, but do, do, do people want to delve? Here's your, your smorgasbord. Now we have a whole, you know, plate of appetizers for you that you can actually get. Now you want to get, you know, the, the, uh, cheese nuggets. And would you like the, onions? um, do you want a whole basket? No, give me all those things. Let me taste that. Let me have, what, what are those things you have? Bread, uh, Bread fireballs? I'll have those too. I'd like to try that out. I don't know what that is, but if it's on this plate, I'll try it. I mean, you love the bread fireballs. I don't know. That's something you get. So <laughs> there's no bread fireballs anywhere out there, I don't think. So if somebody's making those, let me know. Sound delicious. <laughs> They're made with spices that are only obtained through the Dune Sea. That's the place you can get them. So um, I think if you get you know these, these compilation records, you totally could get a – a general like feeling of the the whole scene and what it is, and, and I, there are people that still put them out, of course, um, but they're the rarities, you know. You you you, you got to seek them out. Say I'd like to hear a general gist of of bands and, and get a feel for what this label is like. Like labels would put out their own things and be like, wow, that that's a cool set of bands you got on that label. Um, but yeah, that's not the big big kick anymore you, you listen to the little singles of things and you're kind of done yeah like it's amazing when you go through that compilation and you like look at like all the sounds that were kind of being kicked off there like you talked about the emo scene like cap and jazz is really yeah. like that's the start of that whole next wave of emo like you know yourselves trench mouth is on it uh that the original prophets of rage with the guy who went and did punk planet i think afterwards like it's like the birth of a scene kind of happening it is, and that's the, the cool thing is that that that, that kind of captures a time where you know we you had this broad based you know cohesiveness in the beginning of how it all went, and um, I guess it, it is a it makes me wax nostalgic when you think about that record, and then you know Auckland, Chicago, Dre, and, and you think about all those things that Underdog was doing. And that was a collective of things. It was really a cool, cool set of, of things that made that happen. It, it was like the perfect time, storm, all those things were great. And everybody was kind of working towards this thing of like, here's our scene and, and show it to people. And, and that is awesome. Um, you know, that, that maybe we should bring that back mm-hmm. <laughs> and make it like a everyday thing, like to, to make sure that, sounds that are not heard together get heard together um so that people can experience all these different things and not just kind of lock themselves into this mindset of i'm only going to listen to this and that's it and like i said i I think it still happens um once again my adult 50 year old brain doesn't always get it (laughs) Uh, but but it does happen and you know it's that when you look at those records, it's so organic the way that felt that I think that's why it sticks. You know, it's not like it's forced because now you could probably put something together and force it, but that was just an organic thing of here we are and kind of showing everything that we have. Um, so cool. I'm, I'm glad that's uh, something that 
hit you big time, Damien. That's awesome. Well, I just, yeah, like it's just amazing how, and you know, obviously I love Naked Ray Gun and the effigies and, and that whole era of Chicago as well, but it really feels like Chicago hardcore and punk came into its own in the nineties in a major way. Like it just explodes. And there's like, just so many, like every time I go to Chicago, I just spend the entire time in reckless, just buying 45s, <laughs> like these weird compilations. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like Jeff from Charles Bronson was in weed eater. And like, you know, you're putting all these pieces together for this massive jigsaw puzzle. That is this Chicago DIY scene. Right. It, 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 isn't it weird that everybody plays in like more than one band? <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> I mean, it isn't. It's because everybody plays in more than one band, right? It's a thing. But um, and then you still go back to like your old band, or then their new band or something. And it's like it can't be like your old band, you know. It's like so. All of us when we were in the Bullywells, you know, it's like so when the Bullywells break up, you know, everybody's got something else they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, Ken was in the Feds, and you know, um, Bob was doing like the Hitman, and then he had you know Sleepwalker Defense. Um, and uh, Redline, and then I, I was in Lando's 45, you know, and I was doing, like, some cover band stuff. So, I, you know, that that was, like, all these things that you wanted to try to make sure when you played in these other bands you didn't sound like your previous band. And it's kind of hard to do that when it's like, okay, this is my voice. I'm going to sound like I sing for the Bowie right? Is it, you know, you can play the music different. It's going to be my voice, right? Yep. Yeah. Suddenly singing like, you know, falsetto or, you know, <laughs> little baritone, like, you know, it's like, that's not going to happen. So it was always that whole thing of running away from the band you were in before to try to make yourself totally different. Um, and then you, in the end, end up back in the same band you were in before. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe because it's easy. I don't know. I love, but it's, it's love, man. It's like that first love you have. What are you going to, you always have that thing in your mind. If you can, you know, capture that. It's all good, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and how long after, like, the Weevils is the first time you got up on stage, right? Yeah. That was like, you know, the first time I got up on stage. Um, and it was at the Metro. Whoa. <laughs> so that was kind of the crazy thing. Um, got up on stage with those guys, played a show at the Metro, opening up for Naked Raygun. And then you you had this grasp of, of touching the, the pinnacle of where you wanted to be. And then it's like, okay, go to the VFW hall and play that. <laughs> play that. And it's like, then you grind back up because you tasted what it was like. And you that's what you got. You're like, I'm going to go get that again. That tasted really good. So, um, yeah, that was my first time up on stage. And I, I didn't know what to do. My, my whole thing was... I'm on stage. I was so nervous. I, I, I was like, I thought I was going to vomit. I was so nervous and got on stage. And my first inclination was to just start jumping around like a maniac. And cause it, I was so pent up. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, so I jumped around like a maniac and that just, and I started trying to be witty, which never works by the way. And so <laughs> um, that was, how the whole jumping around crazy happened because it, I was just nervous. And so it, it became a way, I guess, because I'm always nervous, I guess. I don't know. Um, but but it's, that's it. And then after the show, I was like, man, that was great. And then, you know, Pierre Kesley came in from Reagan and asked for one of our tapes. And I was like, so like, once again, like, oh, it's Pierre, he's in the room. Oh my God. And, um, 
at that point, I'm like, this was amazing and wanted to get back there again. <laughs> so it was like, let's play out where let's grind. And we grind, we were grinders. We played, 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 and made it back up on that stage, which was awesome. You know, it was one of the, the, the to, to have that experience of feeling it and getting up there and then getting back there was always the, the best. Um, you never take that for granted because I mean, you could easily not play any of those places. I mean, the, the sad thing is that, you know, looking at venues now and God with, you know, the pandemic and, and like 90% of these venues having difficulty staying afloat and only these places stay open. Um, so you got to save our stages and things. It's, it's, it's just wild and crazy to think about that, that the places that help to form who we are as, as punk rock guys, bandmates, you know, people that those places could disappear. And that's just, just sad as all get out. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, like, well, someone like the Metro, like how many, you know, bands, you know, like I, myself included, like that's one of the greatest nights of my life was playing there. Yeah. It's like, you know, that, that is like, you know, gotta give it up to Joe Shanahan being a great guy. And, and, you know, that, that is a staple of Chicago music. Um, shouldn't have landmark status. I mean, it should. Mm -hmm. Um, and we got to find ways to, to protect those, you know, places there, there are, there are homes, you <laughs> know, we got to protect them. Um, and then you think about places that disappeared, like, the, you know, the fireside, you know, was also a, a crazy, crazy joint because of the whole DIY thing of where you're going to play. Well, let's play a bowling alley. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's that. And then you look at those flyers of bands that grace that stage in the fireside. It's just insane. Insane. Yeah. Um, the most insane thing about the place was the bathroom because that was the I think Chuds lived in there, but that's <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think uh, professional wrestler superstar CM Punk did bouncing there for a little bit too, right? Craziness! Did did, did, he, did he really do that? That's what I remember hearing. That and I think I even interviewed him about it, like years and years ago in another life as a as a VJ. I think I even asked him about it one time, and he said like he did work security there for a second. Wow, I I didn't know that that's that's a fact what i did not know thank you for giving me well if it's not true just help me spread that rumor as much as possible oh, the rumors that you spread now it's like you know what i heard he told me he, was dirty. I mean, he threw me out yes he threw me out a couple of times I, I, <laughs> he did the go to sleep and threw out threw me out the door afterwards <laughs> out of the place and hammer was giving me some you know uh bottom shelf liquor and i got thrown right out of the place <laughs> How dare you throw me out? Do you know who I am? I'm in the Bellevues. Oh. <laughs> how so? How did that Naked Raygun show come to be? Because that's such a like a, a massive band, obviously playing the Metro too. Like, how did that wind up being the first show? Ken wrote a letter to their manager at the time, Karen, and they sent a tape and said, "Yeah, you guys can open up." And this is like before I was even you know, officially in the band, I guess they did this. I mean, we, I, we go to, I go to practice and we start learning these songs. They had played one show without me as the singer, Bob was singing. And, you know, I go to practice, we're practicing. And then Ken says, Hey, by the way, our first show's coming up. We're opening up for Naked Raygun. And I was like, nah, you're lying. That's not true. He's like, no, it's true. And I'm like, you're kidding me. For <laughs> show? Like <laughs> At that point, I am pissing my pants because I'm like nervous. I'm like, that's not real. Um, 
but it was, and it was crazy because I, I, I couldn't even fathom like one, just being in the audience and watching Jeff Pizzotti on stage and, and Spicer playing drums and Haggerty playing guitar and, and, you know, Pierre playing bass. It's like, that was like the epitome of the cool, cool, cool. And we'd sit there in the front row and be like, that's awesome. I just want to have dinner with those guys one day. And that, that happened. <laughs> but to suddenly have your first official show, your coming out party is open up for that, your heroes. I'm like, man, you, this is amazing. I, if I could do this and, and keep doing this, this is amazing. And so... I, I still get chills thinking about it because it, it didn't seem real um, until it was happening. And then it was happening. I'm like, this still isn't real. And then as it ended, I'm like, I never want this to end. <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing. I never wanted it to end. Um, and having now, you know, been a band that's played and then had the opportunity to play on that stage and then have that influence to other people that I've heard over time, you know, that's amazing. Cause it's like this, tradition of giving back, you know, in some sense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and th- that I, I try to remember what that feeling was like, because when you're, you know, ha- playing with another band at that point, they may look and go like, holy crap, it's you guys. And I'm thinking we're, we're just a bunch of goofs. <laughs> Who are we? But they're like, no, but you are an influence on us. And I'm like flattered by that because I remember that feeling of, meeting, you know, the guys in Raygun and, you know, just being in awe and then coming to become friends with them over time because they were just, we're, we're all real people. But I still get that whole starstruck feeling when I see those guys. Um, and, uh, you know, playing at the Metro, I still get that feeling when I go in there and even to watch a show. I'm thinking, man, this is an amazing place. And I I got to play on the, that stage, which is, <laughs> which is crazy. Um and these are stories I tell my daughters, like, hey, dad's played on that stage. And you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that feeling very well when you're trying to tell them something amazing and they just do not sell it at all for you. Right. right. <laughs> that's not important. Dad, could you go turn the Nintendo Switch on for me right <laughs> Yes. Now? Yeah, definitely. I'll go do Thanks a lot. <laughs> It's funny you say that too, because like, I, I really think that you had such a major influence on myself too. Like, you know, that, that, that comp, like the four way split comp. And then that split CD with a freeze, like hearing your band on that was like absolutely essential for setting us on this journey of just being obsessed with, with music, you know, my brother and myself as well. Like, you know, it was just such a, you know, it's like amazing how these things, you know, keep continuing, you know, and it's, it's some, it's like a self-perpetuating scene that way in a way. I mean, you just became my best friend, man. <laughs> and you're, you're making, you're, I'm, I'm blushing right now. I'm all like flushed. You, you, man, you get me all emotional. That's the face. Well, that's why I, I told you, that's why we had to do it audio only. So you don't, we don't see each other blush throughout this whole thing. Right. <laughs> We're all looking all goofy faced and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that tape also that you put out, like, once again, not to make you blush even more, but that first tape, it's incredible. The songs that you had, like talk is one of my favorite songs ever. And that's on the first demo. <laughs> You're right. Thanks, man. That, that's, it's crazy. You know, go, it's, it's weird to listen to 
like some of those first songs that were written. Um, and you know, thinking like, wow, I sound really whiny. <laughs> and so, but it, it's really co- cool to, to play those for, you know, my kids because they go, that's you. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's your dad. Oh, that's weird. I'm like, what do you mean it's weird? It doesn't sound like you. I'm like, no, that's me. I was just younger. Oh yeah. You were young ones. I'm like, God dang, you guys are just stinging them. God, you guys are just vicious. But, um, no, I mean, th- those songs were really cool because it's like a lot of the ones that were, were recorded, like Talk was written well before I was even in the band. You know, it's like that song was put together and then Ken goes here, sing the song in this way. I'm like, okay. So I did that. The, the first one that I actually wrote lyrics for was Finale mm-hmm. and um, also like unrespected Peggy Sue was like written like really quick. And then nine, nine, nine Stony. Um, those were like some of the first ones that I wrote the lyrics for and kind of put the way I was going to sing the song together. Like talk was, is a cool song. And Ken had written that whole song and he said, here's how you sing. And he sang it. And I'm like, okay, so I could sing it that way. And I kind of added my little flair here and there. And then it was like, okay, here's a, too, and he's playing it. I'm like, okay, I'll put this song together. And I wrote the finale. We wrote it sitting down at practice one day. And, um, and then our, our writing style kind of comes from that where it's like, we've written together so long now. It's, it's more like he brings a riff, he brings a tune. And then I can already kind of know what the song sounds like and what the theme is almost based upon what, chords he's playing um and i can write lyrics for it and and usually i don't come with like prearranged lyrics for a song i can't do that it doesn't usually fit the the songs have to kind of grow organically um and uh it's it's kind of cool because i I know sometimes the the changes in chords that he's going to play before he plays them (laughs) um so that's kind of the cool little thing about our little you know um our, our little writing duo together. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm like the Mick Jagger and he's, you know, Keith Richards. So <laughs> I know exactly that relationship. A hundred percent. Um, so, uh, like going back was lost and found put out before disassembler or is it the other way around? Well, as lost and found was, that was like our first, first seven inch, that we put out with it with a comic book and everything in it. Yeah. Um, you have a comic book one? I think I have one. I yeah, actually I do because I got it uh I finally tracked that down I guess the second last time we played Chicago, which would have been just be- I think it might have been that Riot Fest weekend even. Oh, and, wow. Um but yeah, like anytime I'm there, it's just like, okay, I got I got my want list, I gotta check some of these off. But that was like the last one I needed. I'm I'm ninety now. I, I can't reach across the room and grab my Chicago box, but I'm ninety percent sure it's got a comic book in it. I still need the tape though. I only <laughs> I've only heard those songs on the internet. I still need to track down a copy of that. So I'm going to keep coming back to Chicago till I fulfill that one. I I, I will look around. <laughs> well, no pressure on that, but I would very much appreciate. Knocking on the door. Hey, Daryl, you got that tape? No, dude. I threw all those tapes. I gave them all out, man. I gave them all away. <laughs> I actually, actually did. The funny thing is those tapes. I I gave a shitload of those tapes away. And I, I'm still to this day, I get ribbed for that. 
It's like, oh, we have these tapes. Like, oh, here, you want a tape? Here's a tape of the Bannerman. Here's a tape of the Bannerman. It's like, dude, you're supposed to sell those. I'm like, oh, really? Supposed to sell those things? I'm a horrible salesperson. Oh my god! It's like I just gave those out. So, it's like, so they're they're out there. I don't even think. I, well, you know, I might have one. I think I do have one that's here. Um, I probably do have one. Maybe as a special gift to you, my new best friend. Oh, I I I, I can't take that away from your kids on that one. Like that's. But if you find <laughs> a second one, I will be very happy to take that as a gift from my new best friend as well. Um, they, they look at tapes and go, what the hell is this? <laughs> why do you have that pencil out and why are you twisting it around in there? What is your problem, Dad? Yeah, like my whole life I've been accumulating this ridiculously large collection of records and tapes. And I know it's ultimately just going to be a burden I give to my children when I pass away. <laughs> right? It's like you need to find a storage space for these children. Yeah, what are we going to do with all dead shit? Like we got to get rid of this. All the rental costs for a storage space just to let you know when I die. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny also that you brought up that giving away the tape thing. That must be a lead singer thing too, because that's why fuck them won't let me do merch. Right. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah. Can I get that from you? Sure, man. It's yeah. Take it. Take it. <laughs> it's like, um, those things cost real money. I'm like, what? They, the real money is involved in this. What are you talking about? No, I don't see any dollar signs on this. This yeah. is for name service. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, you just, Gas is free, you know. These records press themselves, you know. We don't need money. No, what? What is this thing that we have? This bartering system. I thought we were working on. Come on, they came over. They showed their allegiance, and I gave them something for that. That's what we do. <laughs> so uh, it's also amazing how, like you're, like you're saying, like the the vocal delivery on Disassembler is almost even different from Lost and Found. Like it's like Disassembler is like. It seems like it's almost like not that you don't have an angrier vocal at all on other songs throughout it, but it seems like that's more like a like kind of a, like a, an attack kind of vocal that you have on that first. Yeah, it, it was because I mean, you listen to you know Lost and Found and About You, and it's like more poppy kind of sensibilities in it, and it's almost you know softer and, and approachable. And then Disassembler's like, why are you so pissed off and why are you yelling at me? It's like what happened to us. Weren't we weren't we really cool together, and now we're not? <laughs> well, I love them both. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying I want to pick one or the other. <laughs> but I mean, it's even like you listen to, you know, Stick Your Neck Out, mm-hmm. and Stick Your Neck Out has like this, you know, menagerie of songs that are put together in there, which I I, I love that record. I love that record. Um, and then you go from that, and even going into the seven inches before that, you listen to. From the mean streets of Chicago, which has a different feel when you're on Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you get to Heavyweight, and Heavyweight's got its own sound too, but it's all us, and it's still within what our sound is. It's like we didn't bend the sound so much that you can't go, like, oh, that's not a Bowieville song. But there, there's definitely a little bit of a more raw anger, I guess, to the the way I was singing. Yeah. And, you know, but then I still get pretty sing songy on a lot of stuff. Like on the freeze split, you get some really sing songy stuff, which I really love everything on that freeze split, that stuff. I really like the way I, I sang like intravenous runaway. Um, I really like the way I sang that song or, um, you know, what is it? Uh, can't think of the name of the song. I'm going to play it all the time now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Um, but all the songs on that, that record are like, I like the way that 
I would take the notes and carry them or, or hold a note or, you know, kind of dance around the way the guitar and the bass are playing. Um, yeah. And, and that, that's like fun, you know? Um, but yeah, definitely this assembler has more of a, I'm, I'm punching you right now kind of thing <laughs> in some senses versus the, hey, let me walk with you and sing some songs that are really sweet to you right now because that's what this is about. I think, I think what happened is, you know, About You was about a girl I was dating at the time. And, you know, Lost and Found, like, oh, you know, Lost and Found, what meant so much to me. You know, all that stuff. And then I think we broke up and I'm like, fuck it. I'm writing these lyrics. I'm fucking angry. <laughs> that's what it was. I think that's exactly what it was. You cause know, and or, effect. Yeah, cause and effect. It's like, well, everything was cool. Everything's not cool. These are things. So I guess you could look at the songs and go, something wasn't cool right there when Daryl's thinking. <laughs> Some shit went down and now he, he's, he's blasting anger right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love your vocals too, because like you're saying, like, I think, you know, you can definitely hear that where you're like, like, it's not just, you know, you're playing with the music, you know, and it's something that like, you've got such a unique vocal style that just like, you know, as you're saying, you're like dancing around the notes sometimes. And like, sometimes it's singing, sometimes it's more aggressive, but it's like, it's like such a, I don't know, such a rad melodic hardcore voice. Yeah. That's the whole thing. I'm trying to like keep melody with it too. It's like, I don't want to just be screaming because that doesn't do anything because it doesn't draw you in. It's like I'm screaming at someone, they're going to walk away. But you want to be, you know, loud enough and express, I guess, emotion in it. You know, that's the key thing. It's trying to emote what the lyrics mean in some sense. And, you know, and put that in with the music, how the music is kind of pulling you along to say, this is how you feel right now, right? This music makes you feel this way. And this is what my feelings are right now as I'm singing these lyrics that I wrote down that are about, you know, unrequited love or un about you know, the bullshit of racism or about, you know, just, you know, not being able to sleep during medical school or, you know, about, you know, the real conscious thing I had to think about when you're dealing with a cadaver in, you know, in anatomy class or, you know, the, the, uh, using metaphor to sing about a breakup, you know, when you talk about disease process and say that that's what love is, is a disease process, but you keep falling into it. You can't escape it. You can never get fixed from it. Um, or the continued falling in love over and over again, despite feeling like it's painful and the bottomless pit, you know, all those things that kind of are emotions that we all feel because of our interactions with people. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I tried to express in my vocalization of stuff. Um, and and I, I, I do know I sing kind of in a unique nasally uh, harmonic kind of sometimes growly deep thing. Um, and I like that I can do that. You know, I like that my voice can kind of go all over the place. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, I can't say, I guess it's a trademarky thing. It sounds that way. You know, it's a believable song mm -hmm. and that's hard to sing in another band because it's like, well, it's Daryl singing, so it's got to be the Bo Weevils. It's like, no, it isn't. This is Lando's 45. It's not the Bo Weevils. It's totally different. Totally different. Totally different things. Like, nah, this is the Bo Weevils. It's like, it's not. It totally sounds different. You know, listen to the music. It's totally, ah, but it's your voice. I'm like, yeah, but it's not me playing any music because I can't play music. We're damn. So there you go. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and then I, you know, I, I sang in a cover band for a little while during this thing called the Foundation All-Stars. And we'd sing, like, you know, covers of 
just everyday songs. And that kind of would help me to try to sing better as I got older and older. So you also hear my, my voice changing and I guess learning how to really use my voice better in the, the progression of music that we put out as well. And, and I, 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 I hear that too. When I listen to the songs we play now, how I sing them versus how I used to sing them. Um, it, it has the same stuff. I think I can get more raw power and energy out of it, it because I've lived more experiences in life too. Mm-hmm. So I add those things to the, to the pile of the shit that I sing about. <laughs> you no, know, absolutely. A hundred percent. So who, who were your, some, some of your vocal influences early on? You know, I, it, it's, I have to say, when I look at vocal influences for me, um, you know, definitely Milo from the descendants. Yeah. Um, you know, then I, I think about, you know, um, I think about, it's mostly Milo, you know, when I think about it. Um, I think the way I sometimes would think of how to write lyrics, I would think about, you know, a bad religion song in some senses, but I can't say that it's like, I'm like, Greg, you know, I, I don't think I sing anything like him. I do some stuff, do silly things and just do, you know, shocks and stuff like that. It's like a bachal and I go shock, shock and just make weird noises. Um, but yeah, I think it's mostly Milo Oikerman. Um, you know, I, I think he's my biggest influence of how I would try to be melodic. Um, and then I, I had a little bit of Darby crash because of the growly stuff. Um, but it's it's primarily Milo, and uh, and you mentioned that other band that like sort of like it was like a not not a punk band the cover band that you did. Yeah, it's the Foundation All Stars. <laughs> where, where would you play with that band? We would play at um, um, local drinking establishments, bars, <laughs> yes. and you know, like sports bars and things like that. Um, sometimes we play a little clubby stuff too. Uh, and it was a, uh, it was cool. It was fun. We, we would play like, you know, a little kiss, a little, um, what else would we play? A, a little, uh, outfield, a little Nirvana, maybe a little Buck Cherry, which you want to go really dirty, a little bit of, uh, <laughs> just like, we, we would pick any song and we would cover it. We, we used to do a, uh, kind of a mashup of, uh, Nirvana and uh, Kids in America and you know how cover bands do that little thing when they get their little mashups and they rock them out. Used to be going on. I used to wear like a a, a, a linen white shirt when I played the show. My linen shirt that I would wear uh, and, and look like uh, I was in Milli Vanilli is what I would do at the time. So um, you're trying to picture this in your brain right now. I know and it's addling your brain. Well, and also I just like, for me, nothing's more terrifying than playing a non, you know, like not just punk, but like, you know, like that kind of like not, you know, punk kind of vibe type show where it's like, you're just playing to normals and stuff like that. So like, what was the difference playing those shows versus when you're playing with Bo Weevils? You know, it's still kind of the same energy thing. I'd like to just get around and just be entertaining. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. You go to a live show, you want to be entertained. You can, you know, play something perfect, right? But it's like people won't necessarily remember that. They'll remember what you did and what the show was like. So anytime you're you're performing, it's like make the show happen. So we, you know, do crazy stuff and I, you know, walk out there and act like I was, you know, playing an arena, you know, <laughs> kind of 
thing. You know, if you're playing, you know, to, you know, 30 people at, you know, uh, $2 wing night at, you know, the, the, you know, local drinking hub. And you're like, all right, this is the Foundation All-Stars. We're going to play some rock and roll for you tonight. All right, can you, can you handle it? <laughs> so, we are the Foundation All-Stars. Can you understand it? We are the Foundation. We are the All-Stars. You know, stuff like that. So you just let it go. And most of the time, you know, it, it went off okay. And uh, most of the time, people that were there were there to support because they're like, oh, I want to see this. And it was fun. Um but yeah, it was it was just a, a cool little you know diversion, and it definitely helps you learn how to you know bend your vocals in a way that you might never try. Mm-hmm. You know? um, you're singing a song that's already been established, and you want to try and be as on target as possible. You can always vary it up a little bit, but when you vary it up, people look at you kind of side eye, like "What the hell? That's not that. That's not my song." Oh, dare you mess up Sweet Caroline like that? It's like, yeah, you know, I'm not really trying to mess it up. I just can't hit those notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daryl, this has been amazing. And at some point in the future, would you come back and do a part two? Of course, man. Come on, man. Come on. We're, we're new best friends. This is awesome. I mean, of course we're going to do this again. Well, before I let you go, though, I have like a couple questions that have just been burning a hole in my pocket for years. Uh, yeah. Can I run them by you first? Yes, you can. So, number one, why did you guys change the name to Rat Patrol? Like, I know you you were on that comp and you do the Naked Ray Gun cover under the name Rat Patrol, but I also have seen flyers that list you as Rat Patrol. So, th- there was a <laughs> – when we, we did a, a whole show, a couple shows, as Rat Patrol, where we just played Naked Ray Gun songs. Okay. It wasn't us as the Bow Eagles. We were Rat Patrol. We were not the Bow Eagles. We didn't play any Bow Eagles songs. It was all Rat Patrol songs. It was all Naked Reagan covers. So there's a funny thing. We were in Texas on tour, and we were going to play the show, and the band that was opening for us was not there. So we came out and said, hey, we're Rat Patrol, and started playing Rat Patrol. We started playing... You know, both, you know, make a Reagan songs. Yeah. And this guy out in the audience goes, get off the stage. We're here to see the bow weevils, man. And I'm like, we are the fucking bow weevils, man. And we're playing them in separate now. So it's like, that's the whole thing. It's like, so we would do, uh, we did a couple shows as Rap Patrol and that was us. So yeah, we weren't the bow weevils. It was, it was just us covering make a Reagan. Uh, uh, another question I've been wondering for years is, uh, did you get to pick which Canadian band you did a split with? Cause like I, that Ripcord split Ripcord's of course, a legendary Montreal punk band, but like, how did that work? Was it just the label that assigned the two bands together? Cause like there's a, a whole series of Canadian and American bands, right? I think on that. Yeah. That was, it was kind of like that, that was picked for us. So we didn't get to pick. That was kind of a, hey, this compilation is coming out. You want to do it? Or the split. So here you go. And it was like, okay, do it. So that was that was picked for us primarily. It's such a weird compilation series too because like, you know, obviously the, the American bands are all kind of fairly well established, but the Canadian bands are really all over the map. Right, right. I mean, but that's a cool sounding seven inch though. Yeah. I, it's a cool sounding seven inch. I like it. It's and it's like the, the weird cover of it's all strange. It's, it's, it's a really cool seven inch. Yeah, it's a really weird series. Like obviously, eighty eight fingers, Louie and yourselves make sense. Even Quincy Punks makes sense, but MXPX, 
it's, it's like a, a little bit of a different fit, but uh, an incredible series. No, we didn't get to pick. It was just kind of randomly got placed. Um, and as far as the covers that you had on Viva Chicago, was there ever any thought of doing other songs or was it definitely Effigies and Naked Ray Gun? It was definitely those two bands. You know, that was kind of the pick. You know, we, we had, you know, those were our big, big influences, you know, when it comes to our band. And so we wanted to, of course, pay homage to those two bands specifically when it comes to Chicago bands. Oh, dude, this has been like the thrill of a lifetime. I really appreciate you coming on this thing. Of course, Dave. I mean, this was awesome. And I, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I I know I'm just a goofy goof. And, you know, I just you've made me smile today. Um, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm ready for part two whenever you're ready for part two, man. Well, I, I got to say, like, this Goofy Goof would not be doing what he's doing without the Goofy Goof I'm talking to right now. So I appreciate everything you've done. Man, you are way too kind, man. Way too kind. I appreciate that beyond anything. Seriously, I'm grinning from ear to ear. It, it's a, you're, you're, it, I, I Seriously, you're my new best friend. My new best friend. Thank you, Daryl, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Daryl will definitely be back for a part two at, at some point in the near future. Um, because uh, ah, that's why I do this podcast, so I can meet people that I'm a fan of. That's that's really the reason. Not Nothing else. Nothing else. I also to find out about records in my record collection. But, you know, those are the, the twin factors that are involved in this thing. And you. Just kidding. And you. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for this week's show. I guess we got to get to what's coming up next week. Next week on the show, or still saying next week. I'm never going to get out of that habit. Next episode on the sh- of this show. Next episode on the show. Next episode of this show. This is a big one. This is a big, 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 big one for me too. From the band Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. From the band Beirut Slump. From incredible solo records and collaborations with some of the most important figures in rock music to emerge in the last half of the last century, Lydia fucking Lunch is on the podcast next week. Oh my God, is this a good one? Woo! I just, you just got to hear it. You really just got to hear this one. There is a lot. It is a very dense episode. It's a very fun episode. And, uh, you know, another week where I get to meet a hero. So tune in for that one. That's it, everyone. Go out there and make your own culture. Uh, start a fanzine. You know, start a... Well, maybe not... Don't start a band right now. You won't have too much stuff to do with that thing once you start it. But, like, do something. Make your own culture right now. Sign your organ donor cards. And remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. Go out there and get involved. Show up. Sign anything you can, petition-wise. Donate money. Get involved. That's it. Stay safe. Fuck fascism. And I will see you next week on this show. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs>